leadership in cybersecurity isn't just about understanding threats. It's about leading a team to navigate them with confidence. At CPF Coaching LLC, we specialize in taking your leadership skills to the next level. With over 15 years in the cybersecurity field, we empower professionals and startups to reach unprecedented heights. Imagine having a personalized coaching experience tailored to your unique career ambitions. From strategic planning to masterful pitch and interview preparations, we're here to guide you through every challenge. Join us for our unique value proposition workshops or dive into our vibrant learning community for continuous skill advancement. Don't just be a part of the industry. Redefine it. Visit cpfcoaching.com for more information. Discover the leader within. Contact CPF Coaching LLC today and schedule your strategic session. to another episode of Breaking into Cybersecurity. I'm not sure if all of our intro music actually played. I do apologize for that. It did. Uh, we've been, we've, okay, I didn't hear it on my side. So um, today we have Roselle who will be sharing her journey of breaking into cybersecurity leadership, sharing her advice, and also having Renee, a podcast, so excited. We're back together again. <laughs> I will be dropping off, but I will let these two lovely ladies continue. And love to hear about this story, Roselle. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for the invite. So Roselle, um, it's exciting to have you on. I was able to take a look at your um, background on LinkedIn and you have done some amazing work in the industry. Um, I would love to have you start off by just telling us your career path. Like, how did you get to the point where you are today? Yeah, so it's it's been an, an interesting journey. So I started out in cybersecurity in 2004. I saw a job opening for a computer crime investigator and I had zero background in any of the skills needed for it. And a lot of it was computer forensics. And I just convinced the hiring manager that I'd learn on the job. And I have a, an engineering degree from Princeton. And I just said, look, I can learn. I can learn quickly. And the, the hiring manager was willing to, to give me a try. And part of what I agreed to was I will get these certifications while I'm on the job, which I did. So I was, I want to say 600 something in the world for getting a, uh, an ENCE, uh, which is a, a computer forensic certification. So I was on that early. I had my CISSP in, I don't know, 2005, 2006. And so once I had those credentials, that helped with, with getting a, jobs in the future. 
And yeah, I just, I really enjoy doing the computer forensics. It was basically detective work on a computer. And I, I, I had those tech chops at the time, like the skills of atrophied at this point, but uh, I really, really enjoyed being really down in the weeds with, with the technical work. And I did computer forensics in a couple different places and eventually moved to the Department of Homeland Security in the division that was then called US CERT, now it's CISA. And there I was leading malware and forensic analysis teams. I was also the product owner for a threat intelligence platform that we built internally. And this was before that term was even coined in the industry. I just had this crazy idea that all of the analysis that the different teams were doing should be in one spot so we could correlate. And I was able to bring it from my crazy idea to a product that was being used by the analysts internally and, and about 50 departments and agencies. And so that was a great experience in learning how to bring a, a product concept into fruition. And, and then from there, I moved to the executive office of the president. And this was during the Obama administration. And that was an amazing, amazing opportunity. Uh, so I was always trying to, to look at the, the strategic picture of how we could improve, how we could optimize, um, but I was never too far from what was happening on the tactical level. And during the government shutdown, I actually had to go back to doing analysis work uh, on the night shift, no less, um, because half my, my team was furloughed. Um, so so that was that was a fantastic experience. Um, nerve wracking. And we were 24 by seven. I was always checking in uh, on the, the, the night shift when I wasn't working on it. Um, but all of those years of being on the, the operational side of cybersecurity gave me a great understanding of what was working, what wasn't, where there were technology gaps. And that's what prompted me to switch gears to becoming an entrepreneur. Because I said, hey, there is a technology gap. I'm going to fill it. And I already had the experience from the Department of Homeland Security of taking a concept and bringing it to a working product. And so I brought that knowledge base with me when, when I switched to, to becoming an entrepreneur. And in my, my first startup was called Uplevel Security. I was a co-founder and, and the original CEO. That, was, that company was in the space of basically combining threat intel platform, incident management, and early SOAR capabilities all under one roof. Uh, and if you look at how the industry has evolved, all the players in that space have that, that three-prong diagram, uh, but I had that in my deck in 2014. So it was a little early to the game on that. And that company was um, eventually sold to McAfee. And then I took some time between startups to go work for um, a venture capital firm as an entrepreneur in residence. And I was working on Lytical Ventures to understand the, the other side of the table uh, for, for venture-backed startups. But when you have the entrepreneurial bug, you can't really shake it. And so I knew I was gonna go back to, to starting something else. And, and that's, that's when I went to, to Key Caliber. And again, I was reaching back to my operational days and thinking about 
what the challenges were that I had at the time. And, and one of them was around a very fundamental concept of knowing what we had, what was most important, what was most at risk, these, these fundamental areas where they're, they're the identify stage of NIST-CSF. And I always look at NIST-CSF as, a, as a, a pyramid, not, not a, a linear set of boxes, where if you have that identify phase squared away, you know what you have, you know what the critical assets are, you know the, the baseline, the, the risks to it, then you can build the other layers on top of it and you have this strong foundation. But if you don't even have that, you don't have the denominator, you don't even know what you're protecting, and then you're just really fighting an uphill battle. And so I, I wanted to address that and I wanted to, to move us past all the, the manual tasks that, that were just commonplace. So the, the, whole, the standard process for identifying what critical assets are, it's literally asking folks in different business units, well, what do you think is most important? And that's just riddled with problems. I mean, you get errors and omissions because people are human, and then you get ulterior motives also. So we've heard all these stories about folks saying that people would say something is a critical asset because they just wanted more funding for their division. Or they would say something is not a critical asset because they didn't want to deal with extra security controls. And so I just wanted to get past all of that and move to the 21st century where it's data-driven and, and using machine learning. And so that's what we do fundamentally is we, we produce a whole asset inventory and then for each asset compute an impact score so you know which are the critical assets. We use that impact score and compute a risk score. And we also look at how the assets connected within the environment and, and we look at the security controls on it. So, so you have this state of your risk and security posture and now you know where, where to go from there. And we have lots of actionable insight where you have your starting point, you know this is my, my current state and you, you know how you can start to fix it and improve. And we started basically when the, the pandemic began. So you know, perfect timing, not, not stressful at all. Um, and it's it's been a, a really exciting ride. I have an amazing team and, and the, the, the product has evolved and grown in, in lots of amazing ways. And it's all very exciting and, and a lot of work. Sounds exciting. What a career that you've had so far. I mean, one of the things I, I was taking notes as you were chatting, and um, the first thing I picked up on was when you said it was like being a detective for tech. And forensics, it, it's it's so funny. I was meeting with um, uh, a lady, actually a school board member in my community yesterday and talking about exposure to security for the youth, for high school students. And you know, we started talking about AI and, and security and how there's still this lack of exposure and kids don't fully understand the career path or that there is a career path or what it is. And so um, you know, the way you coined a de detective for technology, I'm totally taking that. <laughs> totally using that one. <laughs> yeah. I'm taking that one. And then so my my first question is, I mean, I have a lot of questions in regards to leadership, but I'm so fascinated by your career. 
when you were with at the executive office of the president, like what was your responsibility? How did that work? Did you have a team? What um what yeah. were you responsible for there? Yeah, so we had a 24 by 7 team and we were responsible for defending the network used by the White House and the rest of the agency. And okay. so as So as when you said I'm sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say, you know, as you can imagine, there's lots going on in, in that type of an environment. And you know, it's, it's a high stakes environment for sure. Of course. So so when you said you were you had to go back to being an analyst, being up at night 24 seven, was it in that capacity when you were in that role? So so with government shutdowns, if, if you're considered a non-essential staff, then right. you don't work. Right. And so. So many members of my team, I thought were absolutely essential, um, were furloughed. And mm -hmm. so in that case, you know, we still had alerts come in. We, we still had daily security right. operations that needed to be handled. And with the analysts furloughed, it had to be done by somebody. Somebody, yeah. So, wow. So, yeah, so you know, you just, you pinch in where you need to, to, to make sure you get the job done. You can just let it just sit. Right. That 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 shutdown lasts about three weeks, over three weeks. So you can right. just sit there and and wait. Okay, you know, just let this pile up and let a potential attack just fester. It's not right. an option. It's not an right. option. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. So um, I am going to pivot a little bit in more into you know becoming a leader and becoming in your in your case an entrepreneur um and i totally totally get when you said i want to solve i see the problem i want to solve this problem um and then you got the bug <laughs> so it's like i want to solve the next problem so i get it what what made you say you know i'm not going to solve the problem or try to solve it from within um that i'm going to you know, go out and and try to solve it on the outside, like create a company, become a product um, or create a product to solve the problem? Yeah, it's a, it's a good question. So I saw it as a problem that we had, but we weren't the only ones who had it. Mm -hmm. And I knew it was an industry-wide issue. So one of the, the beauties of working for the Department of Homeland Security in what was then US CERT, now CISA, is you have this perch where you can, you see what's happening throughout government, throughout critical infrastructure. And so I had a, an understanding of, of what was a challenge across the board. And on top of that, when I was at the executive office of the president, I, I was having tons of conversations because my first attempt was, all right, we have this problem. Let me talk to my peers and see what solution they're using to solve it. And I was getting a lot of answers that were like in the same boat of what we were doing and what we were struggling with. And so I knew that it was something that that was beyond just, just the walls of our environment. And, and that's why... I decided you know, this this is a real problem the industry has. And, and the reality is I'm I'm a mission-driven founder. And I've been in cybersecurity for 20 years because I believe very strongly in the mission. And so when I saw this, this industry-wide issue, I just had the audacity to say, okay, now this needs to be solved. 
I'm going to solve it. Right. And so and it, it all it all progressed from there. But I I knew that it was beyond just a problem that that we were having. We, were, we weren't unique to it. Right. Now, when you were in the roles that you were in working at what's now CISA and the other roles prior, it looks like you became, you, you know, you continue with continuous growth. So you went from like an individual contributor and analyst and even talking about your experience um, where the analysts or the non-essential workers that reported to you were unavailable um, and then you had to jump in. So what made you pivot or go from, you know, individual contributor contributor to leader, like when you stepped into that first leadership role? Yeah, so so that that really happened at um, Department of Homeland Security. And and I distinctly remember the point in time where I basically had to make the decision. Was I going to go down more of a managerial path or was I going to just double down on, on the technical path? Mm-hmm. And it was a tough decision. It was really a tough decision because I I enjoyed doing the technical work and I have a technical brain. And when you're doing technical work, you're fighting with your software and your hardware. You're not fighting with people. And that's very different. Because at the end of the day, you know, you could turn the computer off and on again and half the time the problem goes away. Not that way with people, not at all. And so, so it was it was a challenging decision because I I knew that I would lose my technical skills, but the upside of it to me was I'd have more impact on on the vision and on the strategy and on the 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 long term value that could be provided, and that was really what just tipped the scale in favor of going down the managerial road. What would you say to folks that are sitting right there in in that moment? Like, you know, with you making a decision saying, okay, I want to be more of the visionary. I want to do this. Like, were there things that you asked yourself when you were going through that process, that pivotal moment? Um, Because there are some people who say, nope, I want to stay, you know, I'll be the principal engineer, the principal architect, like go down that really, really technical path and just play with the technology. <laughs> Stay away from the human problems, stick with yeah. the technology problems. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's very different. It's very different. Mm-hmm. And I would I say you know, it all comes down to to your your values what and, and your interests and your strengths and whether you wanna to play to your strengths or maybe develop new skills. If the, the people side of it is, is not your forte, and it's different for everybody because you, you only you internally know your your value system and mm-hmm. what is most important to you. And right. I certainly know lots of really talented people that well into their career, no thought of being a manager, just love being an individual contributor where they can just be heads down, get in as technical as they want, nerding out all day and they love it. And, and I get that. I mean, I I was almost at that point, the point of making that decision. So I completely get it. Um, But then the other side of it, there are people that 
they they want to start to to be able to influence change within the organization and that's it can sometimes be done as an individual contributor but it's it's certainly more challenging yeah and so it really comes down to personal preference you talked about influence how important would you consider influence as a skill and why yeah that's that's a, a great question i i think it never hurts um as someone who definitely would not consider it a strength i think you can still manage without it um but if you are going to move into more of a managerial role, you do have to become more attuned to what's happening around you. When you're an individual contributor, you can just be heads down and just focus your day on hardware, software. But if you're going to be at a managerial level, then you have to understand and be able to read the room. So you, you have to know if people are unhappy with something, if, if there is a, an obstacle that's going to prevent you from getting to what you want to do, you have to be able to look at, all right, well, here's this, this roadblock right in front of me. What are the ways around it, over it, through it? Mm -hmm. and, and that requires having more of a holistic view of the environment. Yeah. And then the next step of, you know, once you have, it's sort of similar with security where, you know, you have the lay of the land, then you can start to develop a strategy to deal with that. And some of the strategy could be influenced if you have that tool in your tool set. Right. But it first starts with being able to, to understand the, the, the macro view of it. And right. that, that was something that I just, I, I learned you know, the hard way with everything. <laughs> I think we all do at some point. Yeah. I mean, individual contributor or not, right? Some of the things that you talked about in terms of influence, because a lot of times, as a, even as an individual contributor, you have to influence without authority. True. Or, true. you know, you're working with your partners, your other, you know, folks outside of, uh, outside of security or outside of IT with the business and, you know, doing that kind of influence. So I think it, it works. It definitely is um, across the board, you know, having to have that skill, but absolutely necessary for um, leadership. What would you say some of the critical skills? So we know that influence is a big one. Any other critical skills that people would be um, looking for? What do you think that a leader um, should have? Like you started, I mean, what's I think what's awesome about your background is not only did you lead within huge government organizations, um, but then stepped over to entrepreneurship. So you saw the combination of leading like the big team, you know, the government in the gut, the government space, and then pivot over to startup world, which I know is <laughs> almost like night and day when it comes to how fast you're moving. Well, well, you know what, you were at the White House, so that was pretty fast, but like, you know, the different, um, uh, red tape, so to speak, that you have on one end that, you know, you can pretty much do whatever you want, more or less, right, as a um, as an entrepreneur. So I'm curious about the different skills that you would say you would need as um, an entrepreneur, entrepreneurial leader versus even like a leader in a more corporate, um, uh, um, stable, so to speak, or, um, 
setting. Yeah, yeah, you're right. It is night and day in, in many ways, to totally different. I mean, with being an entrepreneur, one of the most critical traits is resilience because there is just something bad happening all the time. Yeah. All the time. And the number of obstacles that are thrown in front of you just is endless, absolutely endless. So being resilient, being thick skinned and able to deal with rejection, that's absolutely essential because it's, it's happening all the time. When you're talking to investors, when you're talking to customers, when you're talking to employees that you want to hire, there's, there's just constant rejection. And then there's always this, this tenuous situation of something looks great. It looks like it's going to come through. And <laughs> the last minute it doesn't. And, and that can have such an impact on your yeah. direction, depending on how big it was and how badly it doesn't come through. So I would say that's really number one trait is, is yeah. resilience and, and optimism that you're going to get through it. And just also confidence in yourself. Mm -hmm. Because we're going to hear a million people telling you there's no chance. And, and they'll tell you in all sorts of ways, some very subtly and some very directly. But the message is the same. And so having that, that thick skin, but also that confidence to know they, they don't have the insight that you have. And, and you know this still has legs despite all of the people that are the naysayers. Right. And so those are some of the, the really key traits for, for being an entrepreneur. Mm -hmm. uh, when you're in a, a, a large environment, then it's, it's definitely very different. I mean, you're, you're, it's a chess game in a different way. So entrepreneurship is also a chess game, but it's, it's, it's a faster chess game and, and there's just more that could move at any given time. When, when you're in a large organization, you, you have to recognize that it's all baby steps. Baby steps, because nothing, nothing moves quickly. That's just mm -hmm. not the way it works. And you're gonna get these setbacks also, and, and you're still gonna have to pivot direction and, and, and change course and, and be thoughtful about how you proceed and have that strategy, but it, the pace is gonna be very different. Right. And, and often if you try to come in with this brazen approach of, I'm gonna to start to change everything, that backfires in a large environment because there are gonna always be people who don't want their boat rocked. And if you're coming in and talking about some crazy change, then that could be threatening to them. Whether it really is or not, it could just appear that way. Right. And so you have to be like, very- Who is this new person coming to tell me I've been doing this for 10 years? <laughs> exactly, exactly. Like, who does she think she is coming in here like that? And right. that's not happening. You know, yeah. so you just, you have to be, you have to be very political. In some right. Way. Awesome. Well, Roselle, this has been so um, refreshing to speak to you and hear your 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 varying backgrounds. You know where you've the the 
you know, how you got into cybersecurity, where you started, you know, and where you are right now and the current position in the current company you're in now um, that you co-founded, you co-founded this one too, right? This or you're the founder. Solo founder on this Solo one. founder, solo founder. So awesome. Even better, right? <laughs> Do it by yourself. I love it. Um, so we would love to have you potentially come come back if you were willing to, um, but would love to, you know, wrap up. And if you have any final thoughts that you'd like to say before we close out, that would be great. I would say to anyone who wants to get into the industry, just start applying for jobs. Be strategic about making sure that your resume matches the description for the job, but just start applying. Uh, I just I know lots of folks that feel, oh, I, I need to have a master's degree or I need to do this. I need to do that before I could start even applying. Just apply now. Like, don't don't be the one to reject yourself. Let someone else reject you. And that always needs to start with you just putting it out there, trying, trying, trying and just being willing to give it a shot, even even if the, the success rate doesn't seem high to you in the beginning. Great advice. Excellent advice. Thank you so much, Roselle, for coming on. And we are going to close out. So have a great day, everybody. Take care. Bye-bye. In the rapidly evolving world of cybersecurity, your business needs a guide that's as dynamic as the threats you face. CPF Coaching LLC delivers unparalleled expertise to elevate your cybersecurity startup or business with a decade and a half of specialized experience. We're not just advisors, we're your strategic partners in growth and risk mitigation. Our tailored advisory services range from immediate hourly guidance to comprehensive three or six month packages, all supported with encrypted messaging for real-time assistance. For more information, cpfcoaching.com is your destination. Forge a path to success and distinction in the cybersecurity landscape. Connect with CPF Coaching LLC today and secure your business's future.